Hi, I'm Bridget Metcalf. Join me each week as I chat with leaders from around the world, shining a light of global issues that affect us all, so the truth may be known. Don't miss out on the conversation. Go to your favorite podcast streaming service now to subscribe to Truth Be Known. For upcoming podcasts, go to truthbeknown.org and enjoy the conversation. Hello, friends. This is Bridget Metcalf, and thank you for joining us today on Truth Be Known. I want to introduce you to Angela Donatio, an author, songwriter, performer, worship leader, pastor, and motivational speaker. Angela and her husband, Dale, pastor in Fredericksburg, Virginia, near Washington, D.C., at River of Life Church. She has authored three books, Finding Joy When Life is Out of Focus, Fearless, a six-week Bible study, and Astounded, a 52-week devotional. Angela has a passion for missions, especially in Africa, where she has helped women that were marginalized open up businesses to be self-sustaining, as well as planted churches and supported orphanages and schools. Her own personal battle with physical illness and hardships has birthed a deep study into the Word and biblical concepts that will speak volumes to your life. Everything in life is not about all the big choices. Yes, those matter, but it's a lot of small choices that add up. It's the small choices. You even mentioned disruptive, how disruptive this past year has been. But if we're not careful, disruptions become distractions. And little disruptions and little distractions just keep getting us further and further off course. And then before we know it, we're completely distracted and derailed off of our sense of purpose. Enjoy the conversation as we dive into this week's episode of Truth Be Known. Who specializes in doing weaves and wigs. And so I am testing oh. out her wig right now. This is a wig that. What do you think? I think it's cute. It, it really is cute. It's nice and easy. Yeah, uh, I would so think that too. I would love that. We'll see. Some if, mornings, you know, it would be nice. I remember a lady in my church named Barbie. She was in her 80s and she was just the cutest thing. Her hair was always perfect. She always looked so good. And I was with her with eight years. And it was that last year, all of a sudden, one day, like she told me, she's like, you know, I wear a wig. And I'm like, what? I never knew. I never oh. realized she had a wig on, but her hair was always perfect. So how long is your real hair? Um, it's probably a little longer than yours. Maybe like down to okay. right about here it was my yeah. real hair on Monday. So that was my real. That's hair. what I thought. Mm-hmm. That's cute though. It just looks like you have it up and a cute little headband. I do want to have this conversation. It was actually because you've been pastoring with, with Dale for 28 years and hearing the way this has shaken you with COVID and shaken so many pastors and their wives, having to think creatively and differently. It's it's a whole new world like we were talking about earlier. This is reality right now. So many pastors are having to navigate in an area that they've never gone before. And I agree with you because we're doing the same thing here where you're, it's double duty, you know, online, in campus, pleasing everybody, like those who don't want to wear masks, those who want to wear masks, reality, not reality, that kind of thing. So tell me a little bit about how this has been for you and for Dale. Sure. Well, thank you, Bridget. And it's just such a blessing to be with you and see the way God is using you. And I'm thankful for the gift of Zoom. We could be in two different countries, 12 hours apart, and still be celebrating the way God is is moving. You know, I don't know that we've ever experienced a year 
like we've just come through and really are still navigating through my husband and I have been out here, Dale and I have been out here for almost three decades and, and we live right outside of Washington, DC. So a lot of our people work for the government. So you have a year that really every area of society has been affected our education system, financial, political, spiritual, nothing is untouched. And when something like that happens, you have to almost step back and say, okay, God, this is just too, it's too big. It's too much to think that not that we know God doesn't send and make things difficult, but you have to step back and say, God, what is it you are doing? What is it you are saying? What is it you're trying to do in your church? What are you trying to awaken? What are you trying to strip away? Because especially right here in America, there is such a dependency on so many things. I can make it happen myself. It's my intelligence or my gifts or my financial stability. Or if I'm sick, I can just get what the medical care I need in a minute, take an Advil, move on. And what I feel like Bridget has happened in, over the last year is all of the crutches that we tend to lean on as believers are out from under us. And that stripping away of everything that we feel makes us feel safe. It makes me think when my kids were younger, we would go to the Smoky Mountains on, on spring breaks and we would horseback ride and do all the fun things. And one year we went and took a horseback ride that was really more through the mountains. It was hilly and it was actually had rained recently. So it was muddy and slippery. So for me, it was unnerving instead of this peaceful, you know, gentle horseback ride. I was terrified. And we went on a cliff and the horse hugged as close as it could to the edge of that cliff. And I could feel my, I can do it now. I'm doing it now. I could feel my body scooting over in the saddle because I thought, why are we so close? And I asked the, the guide at the end and he said, the horses feel safest, closest to the edge, but we don't. And I feel like that's kind of the year and what we're still walking through. We're just on the edge that we cannot manage this without the power of God. Maybe we could have fooled ourselves to thinking prior, I'm managing fine. I'm managing fine. But this many things coming at us, this many waves, wave after wave of civil unrest, political unrest, you know, a pandemic, navigating as a church, shutting down, opening up masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines. Everything's a battle. Everything's contentious. There's a collective sadness that the United States is sharing. Mm. And I was even reading through Revelation recently with a kind of all of this in mind. And I was so struck by the fact that over and over, it says, Bridget, these more things keep happening in the book of Revelation and another thing. And, another, and here's a phrase that arrested me. And still they did not repent. And still they did not repent. And still they did not repent. So you want in your brain to think, okay, surely this is going to move people toward dependency on God. Surely this is going to arrest them. And they are going to say, I need God more than ever before. But our human nature can be so hard-hearted and so stubborn that we can actually dig our heels even more. And I don't want it to be said of us in this season we are in for God to ride over it. And still they did not repent. 
because I feel like he's calling not only unbelievers to a place of repentance, but his church to a place of repentance from what we have chosen to depend on and a new full desperation on him, which is a very vulnerable, scary place. But I believe it's what he's asking of us. I don't know if that's what you're sensing there, but that's been what we're sensing here in the U.S. Yes. It's, it's a different dynamic here in Bangkok. Our, our numbers have been very low. Um, the people are very compliant and they locked mm. down the country very early on with the border. So they took it a different level. So you do feel somewhat detached being here in Thailand compared to the U.S. Although, you know, my kids, my family, my friends are all telling me what's happening. And, and of course, you're watching it on the news. What you're telling me right now is what I hear from all of my friends in ministry, in the workplace, even the economy. But you're right in the heart of the country being near D.C. So you're probably feeling it even stronger. And it seems like there's been so much disruption, especially in your area. It's like an epicenter. So, you know, it's thinking about your Bible study with fearless how apropos with what all is taking place you know it's a six-week bible study and i i loved your opening statement i want people to stand up stand out stand strong and find your fearless in christ but you know when i was reading that i thought with what has happened here it's yes but not easy to do that, yeah. even as a strong believer. I mean, how do you do that? What do you say to those who are struggling with this? Like they want to be fearless, but they feel afraid. Yes. And I think those are so understandable feelings. And I think God knew that we would feel afraid because he addresses it over and over and over throughout scripture. Now it's just this command do not be afraid. And like you said, how do we do that? I wrote fearless before the pandemic, it was released in October prior to the pandemic. And in a way that put a dent in, you know, I had all these bookings and I was traveling and speaking and all of that was canceled. So you can look at that and say, okay, God, where are you in all of that? But I believe even now uh, people are finding fearless in a new way that they didn't a year ago, just because like you're saying, we need that message. And I set out to really counter the message of the world, the narrative of the world. The world screams at us, especially as women, to ground our worth and what the world is saying about us. And we read so much about the typical Deborah or Mary or Esther, and I love all of them, don't get me wrong. They're powerhouse elite actresses of the Bible. But I wanted to write about maybe some of the lesser known women who at first glance seemed ordinary, yet we think these stories, whether well, 2,000 years old or they're 4,000 years old, what in the world could Moses' mother have anything to do with what I'm feeling? Or what can I glean from Rahab or Abigail, these ancient stories, but they're so relevant to today. And they really do show us, and I was intentional, Bridget, about finding some parallels to the cultural dilemmas, the complex dilemmas we're facing today. The Samaritan woman who dealt with racism and being marginalized. Abigail, who needed wisdom to know how to navigate such a heated, contentious situation. Uh, Rahab, who needed to get out from under her past that was literally crumbling around her. Jochebed, dealing with 
having to preserve life in the middle of a society that didn't place any value on it. I mean, we're tipping at 60 million abortions in this country. So you read these stories and you think, oh, surely that would never, but we're, we're right there. We're right there in the thick of all of the things. And you know, Bridget, you remind me so much of Priscilla and uh, she's the last story that I share in the Bible study. And I filmed about it in Israel. So I filmed at a lot of these places. And Priscilla to me is such a poignant example for us as modern women who are working. We're in the marketplace. We're also doing ministry. She turned every piece of real estate in her life into kingdom value. Mm -hmm. And I just pictured her at one moment standing there up against the, the temple of Diana or Artemis. It was called both things and picture all these temple prostitutes everywhere. And I can just imagine the oppression was thick in the air. You could feel it. You could think of it. And Paul arriving there and Priscilla describing to him, Paul, this is what we're dealing with here. It's, it's so monumental. It's so overwhelming. And, and how small and ordinary Priscilla must have felt against these impossible odds. And yet she was not intimidated. She was so dependent on the grace of God to do the work. And she was a right-hand person to Paul, to Timothy, to Apollos. And it's just such an example to us today that when we feel intimidated by these circumstances, whether it's COVID, whether it's a sex trafficking, whatever it is that we feel like is this behemoth, in front of us that we know that if we will just do do the next right thing do exactly what god is asking us to do just be obedient like you said those three things sound simple but stand up stand up against that stand strong she loved her culture bridget mm -hmm. she loved those people i write in that chapter that the gross immorality around her did not scare her, but the thought of people going into eternity without a savior did. And I believe it motivated her to say, I have to stand up against this. I have to speak. I have to love my culture more than I criticize it. I have to look for ways that I can rescue the people that are around me and not let what is just palpably overwhelming paralyze me. All of those women could have been paralyzed by what they saw and they all had valid reasons that they wouldn't stand up, even legal reasons, that they didn't want to stand up, and yet they still chose obedience. It's a really powerful, they're, they're really powerful examples for us today. I, I absolutely love it. I, I ordered two of your three books and had them delivered here in Bangkok and have Aww. enjoyed it so much. Matter of fact, I was going through your Bible study fearless and thought, I think I might use this for our women's group. Oh, I Most definitely. It. I love the quote that you put specifically for Priscilla, it says, we can leave a mark on earth by making a difference for eternity. But I do wanna to say to you, uh, Angela, the thing that I think is really amazing, like you said, your book was coming out, was being launched right before the pandemic really came out. I think that your book, this Bible study, is the most appropriate time is now. Mm. That the timing's actually perfect for people to read, to hear, to know these stories. Like you said, I love the fact that you took women of the Bible that really haven't been highlighted but have incredible stories. Like you said with Priscilla, I was reading how you had in there and you, you showed it through scripture that Priscilla was a coworker with Paul. She was a teacher to Apollos. 
and she was a mentor to Timothy. These are just amazing things. And, and I think that this time right now for this Bible study to be launched is actually incredible. Could you tell me where did this passion for fearless come from? I mean, where, where did the rooting of this come from? I think because I can hear how loudly the world is screaming in our ears as women. And I wanted to offer a counter voice. Also, I really got in the heart and like just embodied almost these characters. I call it part study and part story because the beginning of each is really, um, now granted, I wasn't there. You know, if I was describing you, I would say in Bridget had beautiful eyes and long dark hair and I could look at the oil lamp that Priscilla was maybe using or I could feel the wall that maybe Rahab put her hand on. But when you're trying to write about something that you never saw, I would sit there and I, I remember a moment I was writing about the Samaritan woman and I began to feel the calluses on her fingers from carrying these water bottles day after day and the tension in her shoulder and the bruised places on her knees or the woman with the issue of blood who crawled through the crowd to get to Jesus after suffering for 12 years, feeling unclean, feeling unwanted, untouched. Talk about a quarantine, 12 years, Bridget. Nobody hugged her, nobody touched her. She wasn't allowed in the synagogue. She was shunned. And, and as I'm contemplating her story, I, I pictured her trying to get low enough in that crowd to get to Jesus and the gravel that dug into her knees as she would get to that, you know, try to just, if I can just get to the, the very back of his garment and nobody will see me and I won't be called out. And, and in that moment, when Jesus called her out of that crowd, it wasn't to shame her, it was to free her. And, and that's, that's what I want women to experience is the freedom when we ground our worth in the word and not the world, to know who we are in Christ, to know our value in Christ, and to know that he does have a plan and a purpose for us. So does the enemy. The enemy has a counterfeit plan and that we're not disqualified from God using us because of maybe our past like Rahab or a, a bad marriage like Abigail or a governmental edict like Jochebed, Moses' mother. Like all of those things that we are still facing today, they seemed like insurmountable odds, but they were really just opportunities for God to use these women to be a catalyst for change. So each, each session talks about their calling, their choice, and their catalyst for change, how they became a catalyst for change, and then how that affects us, their calling and our calling now today, and how their story intersects our stories. So it was an opportunity I felt like to highlight these women that I think so much of, and I can't wait to meet them, Bridget in heaven. I hope I did them justice. I hope, you know, they might have to say, well, it wasn't exactly the way you described it, but I think it's close. I did so much research. At one point I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done looking at six different women in six different time periods and six different cultures. I was drowning in historical research, but I wanted to bring the most accurate depiction of who these women were and yet also humanize them that these were real women with real challenges and real stories just like we face today.
Well, personally, I think you've done an incredible job as I've been reading through all the Bible studies, the six-week course, and I, I think it's excellent. But I did want to ask you the question, did you already write the stories of these ladies prior to putting the book together? Or what was the inspiration behind, okay, fearless? Was this something in your own personal life that you're like, I need this, so this I'm digging into this? Or how were you inspired? Yeah, I think my first thought was trying to look at people who had uncommon faith. What was the criteria? What was the common denominator between these women that had such extraordinary faith? And I don't want to get political, but we were in the middle of a situation here in the United States where strong feminine voices that were anti-biblical were, were so loud. And I wanted to counter that. And I knew... At first glance, people might look at me or look at you and say, oh, they're so strong. They're fearless. Nothing intimidates them. I don't find that to be the case. I wrestle with fear just like everybody else does. I have my own things that cause me to, to stay up at night and to struggle. But yet, as I looked at each one of these women, I did find these common themes among each one of them and ways that then we could draw from them. I, Bridget, honestly, I want women to love the word of God. That is my overarching thing. And I think if we fall in love with the word of God, and if we stop seeing it as these kind of big idea concepts, and we see them as relatable personal stories, that was another thing I felt like that was important to me. I wanted women to really see um, these are real people, and these are real struggles, and these are real choices that, that they made that are so pertinent to us. And if we don't ground ourselves in the word, then we're really going to struggle. We're going to have the world tell us who we should be and how we should be rather than uh, loving the word of God. And I, I wasn't always that grounded in the word bridge. I grew up in the church, as you know, you know, my family, mm -hmm. but I was very perfectionistic in my approach with even the Lord. I felt like I was performing. The more I did for him, the more he would love me. I grew up that way. It wasn't until my own health fell apart and I nearly died in 2001 and 2003 from severe health complications. It was in those seasons that I pressed in, in a much more profound way to who God was. I began to journal and journaling is what actually started my writing. My first Bible study was birthed out of my own journals which is a study on Philippians, finding joy when life is out of focus. So that study was built just by me journaling every day, a little bit about Philippians. Mm -hmm. Fearless was different. I went into fearless knowing I wanted to write about women. I actually got together a group of women that I admire, have had challenges in their life that have stayed strong. Some have lost children, some have faced cancer, some are young moms, and we brainstormed about so many different women in the Bible. And there's so many women you could read about and write about. And we, I, I kept boiling it down to what I knew I wanted to talk about, that they, these women faced a strong challenge and then they had a distinct cause that they were fighting for. You know, you see, especially in the US right now, this rise in social justice, even among believers. Everyone will fight for a cause right now. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to make sure it's a God ordained cause. And it's not a, a cause that we're just taking on. Mm -hmm. And if it's a God ordained cause, then he will equip us to fight it. 
So these are women who had a definite challenge. They had a cause that was worth fighting for that was God given. And then there was something that shifted because of their actions. Something shifted in their society, in the way history was written. I mean, think about Jochebed if she hadn't fought for Moses, who, you know, she's a woman who delivered. In fact, Bridget, I only set out to write about Jochebed. And then I started writing her story and I thought, well, how do I not write about the midwives? Well, how do I not write about Pharaoh's daughter? So the beauty of that story is it's a collective of women Mm -hmm. that we are so much stronger together than we are as individuals and to stop competing with each other as women Mm -hmm. and to start linking arms across continents, across states and to say, listen, we're never gonna get the work of the kingdom done if we're siloed and just thinking, God, expand my ministry, expand my territory. That, that, is, that is the wrong approach to how God wants to expand things. But to say, God, how can we link arms? And, and what are you doing? What are you saying? And how can I be a part of what you're saying in a greater picture? So unlike finding joy that was birthed out of journaling, fearless was birthed out of a concept that God gave me to, to look at women through the lens of what was it about them that at some point they made a choice, Bridget. And in my own interviews with people on my podcast, the Make Life Matter podcast, that is a pervasive theme. There was a moment they had to make a choice. Either I will choose obedience, I will choose surrender, I will choose trust, I will choose to stand up against this, no matter what it costs me, And we face those same choices today, and we are not exempt from giving God our yes. Mm -hmm. And we have to believe that on the other side of obedience is going to be blessing. I saw that when I said yes to him through my health crisis, and I'm saying yes to him in in even personal challenges that I'm going through right now, Mm -hmm. that I have to believe that God is good. And, you know, I will share this. When I was a little girl, Bridget, I used to want to be Wonder Woman. And I would, you know, watch her cartoon and I would sit in front of the TV. Back then it was the old TVs. We had to get up and physically turn the channel. If you're under 20, you don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I would watch her, you know, wield her gold cuffs and she would take to the sky and she just seemed so fearless and so determined to make a difference. And yet, you know, Wonder Woman is a made up character. She's Mm -hmm. not a real person and God isn't calling us to be Wonder Woman. As I studied these women, I wrote this in Fearless, that the real Wonder Woman is the woman who stands in wonder of who God is to be the woman that he has called her to be. And we don't need pretend gold cuffs. You know, we don't need to look to the sky and ask some mythical God to give us power. We just say, God, I'm giving you my yes our surrender, our obedience is our superpower. Mm-hmm. And we trust God and he is going to be the one that's going to work through us. And for us as women today, whether we're standing for the cause of rescuing women, or we're asking women to ground themselves of the word, or we're navigating how to pastor people through a pandemic, we can say, God, the real wonder woman is a woman who stands in wonder of who God is. You are merciful and you are good and you are faithful and you provide and you forgive and you redeem. Mm -hmm. And then if I stand in wonder of that, 
then whatever I stand in front of, I can, I can be okay because I'm not just standing in front of a behemoth. I'm not just standing in front of my own personal Goliath. I'm standing in wonder of who God is. And it's at God, it's, it's God at work in us, Bridget. It's not anything we can do in our own strength. It's only God at work in us that we can do this kingdom work that he has called us to. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And when I think about people in my life that I so admire and look up to, I remember one of the ladies that I ministered with, and she was one of our leaders, and the word of God was so inside of her. And I asked her one time, I said, you know, how did you get the word so deeply inside you that when any situation happens to you, or any encounter you have, the word just comes out of you. I said, I so admire that. And she ended up breaking open a story with me in regards to a, a deep bout of depression that she went through. And it was a three-year depression. She came from a pastor's kid's home. She, she, she loved God with all her heart, but this depression overcame her. And she said, Bridget, it was the word of God and the word of God alone that got me out of this, but she goes, it was three years. And she was kind of like wow. your journaling where you're going through this journey with your health. She went through this journey and she said, it was like, it was the only way that God could get that word inside of me. And it became part of me. And then one day I woke up and the depression was gone. And so I, I wow. love what you're saying, but also the fact that we can value those who are around us. Like you said, that we can cheer each other on, not compete, but your success is my success and my success is yours. Yeah. And when we link together, we extend ourselves all around the world and we can see God's kingdom come forth. So, so many powerful nuggets that you're sharing. And I thank you for just being open and vulnerable with this as well. Let me ask you, this health journey um, you said was a catalyst for you. When did that start? How did that start? And how did you get through that time? So the short version is Bridget in 2001, I had been struggling with endometriosis for several years and I had a hysterectomy and my mom came out to help. And that same week I was still bleeding at home. And I thought, well, there's nothing really left. <laughs> you know, it's all kind of gone. I don't know what's bleeding. And so I called the doctor. They said, well, it's end of a work week. Why don't you just go on into the ER? I'm sure it's nothing. And uh, they kept me overnight. And to spare all of the gory, gory details here, I nearly hemorrhaged to death overnight, fully awake. So from about 6 p.m. till 6 a.m., I couldn't stop bleeding. And uh, we really thought about 3.30 in the morning, I thought I wasn't going to make it. And I remember looking at the clock. And in the hospital room and thinking, God, you know, my, my doctor's not on until 6am and I'm, I'm not going to make it till then. I'm literally going to lay here and bleed to death. I mean, I've been to Africa 20 times and work a lot with women and pastors wives in Africa. And I thought, here I am. I'm not in a third world country. I'm not on the side of a road. I'm in a hospital bed and I'm going to die. And afterwards, you know, my doctor came in at six. They did a very complicated procedure. They stopped the bleeding but I had lost over half my blood supply that mm. night. Wow. And I, I went home. I was working on my first album. I was a songwriter before I started writing books, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I was writing these story songs. That's my first album called This Journey. 
And the last song on that album is called Trust You Anyhow. And it was written out of that experience where I said to the Lord, I don't ever want to feel that desperate again. And he said, Angela, that's the way I always want you to feel that desperate for me and that dependent on me. And I wrote Trust You Anyhow, which says, I don't understand how this is in your plan, but I'll trust you anyhow. I can't possibly see what good is meant for me, but I'll trust you anyhow. And that really became a new way of living for me, that kind of much more raw and open and vulnerable dependency on God and not feeling like I had to be Wonder Woman and have it all together all the time, but that I was human and frail and that in my weakness, God could be strong through me. I feel like I have a life prior to 2001 and then there's a new Angela that's after 2001. I lost a lot of memories, Bridget. There's a lot of things I don't remember maybe trauma, medication, but I'm, I would never trade it. Then in 2003, I thought I had learned all that I needed to learn. You know, you're like, okay, we don't want to go around that mountain again. And I became very ill. I couldn't eat. I began to lose weight. And this stretched on for a few months and doctor after doctor, it just wasn't presenting as something obvious. I even had doctors tell me it was all in my mind. And that's a very frustrating feeling like the woman with the issue of blood. I, you know, something is wrong with you. She said she spent everything she had on doctors and no one could heal her and cure her. And that's just the way I felt. I felt again, kind of abandoned. And finally I went back to that doctor that it was my OBGYN that had come in that morning uh, with, uh, with Endometriosis. So I went back to him after the hysterectomy. And I said, I need your help. Something is wrong with me. Dale was with me. And I was just crying in that house, in that doctor's office. And a series of tests landed me in the hospital. I spent 11 days in the hospital with nothing to eat or drink, just on IV fluids while they ran tests. And I was always on my left side. I was in a fetal position. I was in excruciating pain at this point. And I, I, I could feel Bridget, I could feel the life leaving me. I could feel it. You know, when you faced death down, I feel like now I just don't, that's another way you're fearless is you come to the end of what if the worst happens and you're laying there and you're, you're not sure you're going to make it. I feel like I'm on borrowed time on, I'm on given time now and that I'm in bonus years. I'm in bonus experiences. All of my trips to Africa happened after 2001, all of my albums, all of my books. So we think something's going to take us out. And yet God is actually going to use that thing to catapult you forward mm -hmm. into a greater level of your destiny. And so uh, finally they ordered an extensive set of x-rays where you drink this barium drink, that gross kind of chalk drink. And it's supposed to show where an obstruction is. So I drank that uh, the test is supposed to take about 45 minutes and my parents had flown in because things were very uh, grim and my husband was there. So they were all in the hospital room waiting and I thought I would just be right back and they wheeled me down and they laid me on this cold metal hospital table for this 45 minute test and I drank the barium and then they had me roll over and sit up Then they had me stand up and get on all fours. And I just felt like a rag doll, Bridget. And an hour turned into two hours and four hours and six hours. And that test stretched on to seven hours because the barium wouldn't go through. It was stuck. And I think about hour five or six, I heard the audible voice of God. And I've only heard that a couple of times in my life. 
And he said, Angela, I had been a worship pastor Bridget probably 15 years at that point. He said, I know that you can worship me on the platform. I want to know if you can worship me here. Mm, and I was, I was so depleted. I'm thinking as I'm saying that now my sister is lying in a hospital room right now and she is fighting for her life against COVID. And yet I know that those places can be holy ground. Those places mm. that are the, they're not the places we want to encounter God. You know, we want to encounter God on the mountaintops and the exciting, thrilling moments of life. And yes, very much he meets us there, but he's also such a loving personal God that meets us in the deepest, darkest moments. I mean, Bridget, the darkest, most painful moments of my life are on paper for everyone to read. I laid there and I didn't want to worship. I didn't feel it. I didn't have it in me. And yet I had settled that two years prior. God had set this moment up prior by saying, I'm going to prepare you for really what is going to be the greatest ask of your life. I want you to surrender everything to me. And so I laid there and I just started singing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God and you're altogether lovely and you're altogether worthy and you're altogether wonderful to me. And I believe that moment ushered in my miracle, Bridget, because the next morning, a GI doctor had been studying for his boards and he just happened to look at my films and he saw a, a picture in his book that he was studying for that looked like a picture of my films. He had wow. never had a patient. Yeah. He had never had a patient. He called John Hopkins. They consulted and they made the diagnosis of superior mesenteric artery syndrome. It's a rare life-threatening disorder where an artery takes too sharp of a turn and it was compressing on my intestines, was acting like an obstruction. So I would go to eat and it, it wouldn't go through. So the decision was made to uh, do a major operation. They cut me stem to stern and they disconnected my intestines from my stomach and reattached my stomach to a lower portion of my intestines to get around that artery and that compression. I had lost almost 20 pounds. My blood pressure had been 70 over 40 for a, almost over a month. And instantly that came back up, but I had almost a year of recovery of trying to eat solid food again, um, I've had my esophagus stretched many times since then to keep it open. So it's been a lifelong journey now of health, but also a place of all of these things that we're talking about, Bridget, were birthed after those encounters. Even the, mm -hmm. the other book that you have, Astounded, Encountering mm -hmm. God in Everyday Moments. Some of these moments are in that book, realizing that God can turn every space into sacred ground when we choose obedience. He can turn a hospital room. He can turn a red light district. He can turn any space into sacred ground. But our part is obedience. Our part is surrender. And then he does the rest when we give him our, our full heart. Well, that answers so many questions to me because I actually, I do have astounded right in front of me. And as I was reading some of the stories and I pulled out two, but as I was reading these stories, I thought this has to be birthed out of some amazing experiences that God really took you to the depths 
of yeah. his heart. And I do love the format of this book, having 52 devotionals, you know, you can do one a week or, you know, how often as you want to, but it can take you throughout the whole year. But there was two that really stood out to me, if you don't mind me just sure. touching on them. But one of them was the cost of a penny, the yeah. cost of a penny. <laughs> I'm with you on the chargers that used to go in there and, and everything, but that really ministered to me as we can be in the way. So one was the cost of the penny. The other one is I want to also ask you to expound on is if my sandals could speak. Um, that was such a wonderful, I love the way you wrote that, but not only that, it made me see into the world of missions in your heart it just really yeah. showed me you and the heart for missions and it I, it just inspired me so the oh, cost of you, a penny where did that yes, come the book from? the book is brand new thank you Bridget for your kind words the book is brand new but um it that was birthed out of I did a blog for many years called the M&Ms of life make your life matter no matter what and which has kind of morphed over time now to just make life matter. That's kind of my tagline of everything. That's the name of my podcast. And so I went back through blogs I had written over the years and, and rewrote them, refreshed them, gave them a facelift. And uh, some of those blogs are in the book, which I'm so thankful I did that in journal because we think we're going to remember all these details later but we really don't. And I'm a journaler. I still journal. I don't journal every day like I did in one season, but I journal enough that then it's also such a great mile marker to go back and look at these moments and see the faithfulness of God all along mm -hmm. and to know that he's the same God today. So the cause of the penny was written years ago before we even were having smartphones and we were, you know, the car charges, but we were starting to, to, to charge our phones in the car and those cigarette, you know, lighters. And a penny had gotten stuck in that lighter. And I went to charge my phone and it wouldn't charge. I even tried another charger and it wouldn't charge. And I realized the penny that had gotten stuck in there had short circuited the entire uh, charging system. It cost me a lot more than a penny to get that repaired so that I could use it. And it was just an analogy to me, like you said, of the small things that we tolerate in our life that we don't realize really are costing us something the choices that we're making, even back to fearless, the choices we make on a daily basis. You know, everything in life is not about all the big choices. Yes, those matter, but it's a lot of small choices that add up. It's the small choices. You even mentioned disruptive, how disruptive this past year has been. But if we're not careful, disruptions become distractions and little disruptions and little distractions just keep getting us further and further off course. And then before we know it, we're completely distracted and derailed off of our sense of purpose. And that can happen with just the cost of a penny. It's almost like the story of the princess and the pea, that the princess that laid down on the mattresses, and she had so many mattresses, but there was one little tiny pea underneath that bottom mattress that was annoying her and keeping her from sleeping well. That's kind of what that reminded me of. And it's a reminder for us to address, address things, the sin in our life that we tend to, to, to tolerate the extra glance, you know, the distraction that we, that we don't put an end to the procrastination, the, the negligence of our quiet time, or, you know, the more, uh, the more glaring sins that we know are keeping us from God's best. So that was what that kind of came from. 
And then, yes, I, my husband jokes that I have a, a foot in each continent. I have a foot in Africa and a foot in America. And he was raised on Alaskan soil as the son of a missionary in Alaska till he was 18. And he sees that same passion in me that he saw in his dad. I love Africa, Bridget. I love the people of Africa. I miss it. It has been a long time with the pandemic that we've been able to travel. My heart is itching to be back on the African soil. We have a church we planted in Ghana, uh, but I've been several places. And I always took a pair of pink and white Crocs with me. And those rubber Crocs that, you know, they'll just weather everything, the mud, you know, I could wash them off and hose them off and put them right back on. And I was just walking around my kitchen one day and one of the pairs split. And I, I just literally started to cry. I thought, no, it's like they had been my trusted companion in all of these journeys. And I never threw them away. I don't have the heart to throw them away. They're just in my closet. And so that is from the perspective of my sandals, all the things those sandals have seen, the places that they've carried me. It was a different way of describing for you and bringing you along on the journey of through the continent that I love, whether it was kids camps or the muddy banks of a river or a game drive or climbing Kilimanjaro or visiting rural pastors' wives and helping them to be empowered through microenterprise. Just so many moments. I mean, honestly, Bridget, I said to my parents a few weeks ago, I've lived 20 lifetimes. Honestly, if, if I went to heaven tomorrow, I would I would feel like God has been so merciful to me. Um, I don't know what's ahead. I don't feel like I'm finished. I want to help empower and equip, especially women to be who God has called them to be. And I see that same call in Africa. They're just, it's, it's exactly probably what you see in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Women have pa- passions and drive. And for some of these women in Africa, they simply needed a small amount of startup capital. That's all it required. And they were small loans that they could repay with a a tiny bit amount of interest with the assemblies of God. And then they were able to start their own small businesses and help their families and their communities. So Africa has done more for me than I think I have for it. Trust me. Uh, She has blessed me as much as I have hope that I have blessed her. And uh, we, we, we definitely share a mutual love for missions. And, you know, I say on my website that missions doesn't even need a passport. Maybe you're listening and thinking, well, I could never go to Bangkok or Africa. You don't need to, you know, missions just needs a heart that's willing, uh, eyes willing to see a heart willing to be opened up, ears willing to hear, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through investment financially, whatever it looks like for you, we can all partner in this invitation for the great commission and to keep rescuing people and empowering them to be who God's called them to be. Well, I just love um, everything about your books and I see the anointing that you have. I believe that through what you've gone through, it has given you authority to speak into women's lives and to do these things that maybe prior to your experience, you could have gone through that, but now you're walking with such deep rooted authority and strength and, um, and dependence on God. And it shines through your books. It shines through even the way you express yourself. I just want to say thank you so much for digging so deep, writing these books, sharing your heart on a constant basis to women, not just in your own church, but around the world. 
in Africa, everywhere you go, I can tell that there's just this passion inside of you. And one of the things that um, is funny, I haven't shared this yet on our podcast with Truth Be Known, but Truth Be Known, Angela and I have known each other since 1988, as much as I don't want to admit that that long. But I first <laughs> met Angela in 1988. We went to college together at Evangel University. And um, I'm good friends with her sisters as well, Sabrina and Deanna. And I am just blown away with what God has done in your life. You know, you have two children, Gabriella and Christian. Your husband, Dale, is a pastor in Fredericksburg. And I feel so excited and proud that we knew each other back then and to see what God has done and to see that God can put us back together again. And we're working on a project together with Virtual World Sealed Conference. I'm so excited to partner with you. But Angela, I just wanna thank you for being a part of our podcast. Your story is so important. The words that you have pinned have great and deep effect. And I do believe that not only will it make people feel astounded and fearless, but it's going to make them dig into the word of God, which I know is your heart and your passion as well. You're so welcome. I feel the same about you. I love seeing how God is using you and using the Truth Be Known podcast. And honestly, Truth Be Known, God is no respecter person. So what he has done in my life or in your life, he wants to do in the lives of every single one of our listeners. I just want to encourage people. God can transform our pain into purpose. We just have to partner with him through our obedience. So I'm just praying a blessing over you and excited to keep partnering with you and just see how God is using. I'm praying in one day that I could be with you there and see your work in person. We just need to get past this pandemic and it's going to happen one day, but until then we'll partner virtually. Thank you, Angela, for sharing with our Truth Be Known audience today your insights and navigation through scripture and to be astounded by our creator. Angela is a host representative for the state of Virginia for a one-day event on October 16th in 2021 for the Virtual World Seal Conference to equip, empower, and unite like minds to stop human and sex trafficking. You can hear more about it at sealed.life. Also, we encourage you to check out Angela's podcast at Make Life Matter. That's Make Life Matter. Go to angeladenadio.com for more details and take a listen. Thank you, friends, for tuning in today to Truth Be Known and go to truthbeknown.org to find out more about our future episodes and guests that will be joining us each week. You can always find us on your favorite streaming service and don't forget to let the truth be known.